Well, I'd like to welcome you to our worship this evening, give a warm welcome to all of you, and we are here to worship God. I know that there are uh, friends who are visiting from the Redeemed Church. Welcome, sisters. It's really lovely to see you. If any of you ever get a chance to go up to the Redeemed Church, go and visit. Uh, they like services as long as we have as well, which is great. And I know that there are uh, one or two other visitors, someone from Wolverhampton and uh, from other places as well. You're very, very uh, welcome. Psalm 95 says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Let's stand and sing on Jordan's stormy banks.
Let's remain standing as we pray before we sing again. Lord, we bless you that we have this enormous promise, the promised land, that a place where there will be no sickness, no sin, no partings, no sorrow, every tear wiped from our eyes. We bless you that this promise and hope is sure and certain. We bless you, Lord Jesus, because you have promised and you cannot lie. We pray, our God, that as we worship you this evening, that each of us would be conscious of your presence, that we would be deeply thankful for all that you have done and are doing, and that we would be bound to one another in the love of Jesus Christ, wherever we are from. And Lord, if there be any here who do not know you, we ask that even as they hear about you, they'd be drawn to you, confess their sin, and uh, enable them, O Lord, to put their faith and trust in you. Help us as we worship. In your name. Amen. We'll remain standing as we sing Psalm 62, the Getty Townend version.
Amen. Please be seated. Now, in, in the church here, we read in the morning through a New Testament book and an Old Testament book. In the evening, we've been reading through uh, the book of Numbers. And I think, is Maria here, actually? Mister. Maria's going to come and read. Um, I, need, I need to say, I've asked Maria to read a lot because when Maria and Thanos, when Thanos joined her, and I would use my Greek pronunciation, they laughed. And they corrected me in public, which was really terrible. So I just thought, I'm going to make Maria uh, read as much of the Greek, but this is Hebrew, so never mind. But it's, it's wonderful to be able to read the Word of God. You're reading from verse 22 to the end. It's a marvelous passage. So the reading is found on page 147 in the Church Bibles. It's Numbers chapter 10 and verse 22. The divisions of the camp of Ephraim went next under their standard. Elishama, son of Amihud, was in command. Gamaliel, son of Pedazur, was over the division of the tribe of Manasseh. And Abidan, son of Gideoni, was over the division of the tribe of Benjamin. Finally, as the rear guard for, for all the units, the divisions of the camp of Dan set out under their standard. Ahiezer, son of Amishaddai, was in command. Pagil, son of Okran, was over the division of the tribe of Asher. And Ahira, son of Enan, was over the division of the tribe of Naphtali. This was the order of march for the Israelite divisions as they set out. Now Moses said to Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We're setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. He answered, No, I will not go. I'm going back to my own land and my own people. But Moses said, Please do not leave us. You know where we should camp in the desert, and you can be our eyes. If you come with us, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord gives us. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Wherever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, may your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a remarkable passage, and, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, it is a remarkable passage, and uh, we seek the Lord's blessing upon this congregation, upon whatever church you belong to, that without the Lord's presence, we have nothing. And so we, we pray that prayer of the Israelites, that the Lord would rise up and go before us, and that he would return to us as well. Now let me just go through uh, some of the notices, I think, if they're coming up. We'll see what's there. 
Oh, yeah. Sorry, I need to look over this side. It's not on there. We Rascals are starting their summer season or meeting uh, weather dependent at Victoria Park at 10 a.m. on Monday mornings from now on. Uh, Tim and Zoe are, would like to invite the congregation to their wedding ceremony on Monday the 24th of June at 12.30 here. They're also looking for people who could help out with tea and coffee serving after the ceremony. If you would like to do that, it's a great way to help. Uh, if you can help with minibuses, then uh, have a look at that slide, and the slides will be up afterwards as well for the camps. Uh, we have a significant number of people from this congregation who are helping with the camps this year, which is tremendous, the free church camps, and I think there are others with SU camps as well. That tells you the kind of drivers we need. Spy catechism. Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? And the answer is no. Every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God, and against His righteous law, and God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in his just judgments, both in this life and in the life to come. And then I think that's all the notices, except uh, you'll notice a table with some books there. A lot of them have gone, but these are books that are not able to take to Australia. Some of them are, are doubles as well. Um, none of them, I think, are rubbish. You might find one or two that are, uh, but I, I don't think they are. And they're basically free for you to take. I do want to mention a couple um, this is not a hint, but for the elders, there's here one, uh, church elders, how to shepherds God's people like Jesus. So take that one. Uh, this is a, I, I found this a really helpful book, um, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Um, and then this is an old book and it's quite well worn. And I had it in 1979. So that's basically when I became a Christian. And it's called Born for Battle by R. Arthur Matthews. And it taught me right from the very beginning that Christianity was spiritual warfare. And it's just, I think, about 30, 29 actually, very short chapters and incredibly helpful. So these will be down there. Can I also say to the spy group, um, I have copies, we do have the copies now, of um, the Ask book, and I'm going to give you a copy as a, as a gift, as a farewell gift to you. So make sure you speak to me at the end if you're in the spy group. And the rest of you, if you're not in the spy group, buy your own. That's, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. There's only so much I can give away. I, I was asked, somebody asked, can you explain the cover? Because um, it was designed by Al McInnes. And it's a pink hand and a blue hand. And um, this is actually Al's biometric handprint. And that is because he recognized when he read it that the number one issue that teenagers were asking about was identity. It was all to do with identity. And so I'll have this idea, you put your hand up to ask a question, but it's your hand, it's unique, there's, there's no one else has your fingerprints. And he also uh, did the pink and the blue. It's quite funny, Christian Focus wanted to change it to red, and I said, no way, you're not having the red hand of Ulster. And <laughs> it, would, it would sell well in West Belfast, or East Belfast, it would sell well in East Belfast, but nowhere else. Don't, we're not having the red hand of Ulster on a, on, a, on a book, but the pink and the blue. And of course, that's the gender identity stuff as well. And so many of the questions were about that. So um, you spy guys, make sure you ask me and we will, um, I'll make sure you get a copy uh, tonight. Okay, uh, we are going to sing again. And again, if you're a visitor here, we love singing the Psalms. as most of you know, Annabel and I are going to Australia, and one of the problems we're going to have is how do we persuade 
the Australians to sing psalms. Um, there are some churches that do, but we, that we, one of the things we miss the most is it's just wonderful to be able to sing God's Word. And we're going to sing Psalm 68, which reflects the reading that we had in Numbers about God going before His people. We're going to sing verses 1 to 10, and the tune will be St. Petersburg. May God arise and may His foes be scattered far and put to flight. Let's stand and sing this to God's praise. May God
please be seated. Now, each Sunday evening, we uh, have our missions prayer, and Chris is going to come and pray for God's work throughout the world and throughout this city. And uh, tonight, of course, we have a mission spot, which David knows nothing about. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's you. Oh. Please come here. <laughs> this is called revenge, isn't it? It is. <laughs> and um, basically, I've heard so much about the fact you're going off to Australia, and we know you're going to be in Sydney, and you'll not be far away from your lovely daughter and husband and uh, everybody else, but what on earth are you going to be doing? Or <laughs> who are you going to be with, first of all? Who are you going to be working with? Um, with a, a group called City Bible Forum. We used to have a woman from Broda called Anna Sutherland who worked with Christian Witness to Israel. And we said, what do you do? Because she worked in Sydney. And she said, I go to Bondi Beach. So we're, me and Annabelle, we're surfing. <laughs> no, no. No. Uh, well, what, what we're going to be doing is this. City Bible Forum do outreach. And they, they are particularly good at outreach amongst lawyers and business people and One of the highlights for me last year being there was getting up at six in the morning and heading into a lawyer's breakfast in a restaurant called Silks, which was right beside the Senate court. And it was just a tremendous response. Um, The second time we went, lots of the lawyers brought their non-Christian friends. And then I did the same with the bankers. Uh, I remember one morning on the 32nd floor of Deutsche Bank, and it was just quite remarkable. All these guys came in in pinstripe suits and stuff, and I was basically dressed like this. Uh, and, and they just listened to the gospel. They were so hungry for the gospel. I was just amazed. So um, what they've done is they've asked us to come back. I had suggested that they have all these resources, you see. And I said, why don't you use these resources to reach more people than just the lawyers and the bankers? So they basically said, that's a great idea. Come and do it. And so. what, are, what are the resources? They have personnel. They have some really good offices. They have a... a uh, a man called Peter Kohler, who's from a Jewish background, and he was converted. And his father is uh, one of the most famous um, Jewish people in Australia. And, is, uh, you know, Peter has done a remarkable work. So they have these forums in every city, um, Brisbane, Melbourne, Perth, uh, Adelaide, Sydney. And um, they wanted myself, and they're providing um, some support staff. There's a a man I met, which will terrify you, called Steve McAlpine, who's from Northern Irish stock, but is in Perth, Australia. And uh, he and I, we're, we were like psychological twins. And we, got on, we get on very, very well. So he's, he's, he's given up his job as a church planter, and he's going to come and work with me as well. Wonderful. So. And so you'll be going from city to city, yeah. meet, do, doing various meetings yeah. and, and activities. Well, will you be publishing these somewhere so we know yeah, yeah. how to uh, pray? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, one of the conditions for going, first of all, the Weefly blog continues, as does the podcast. Secondly, the idea is not that we, you know, I'm, I, I, just wanted to, I just want to be able to tell the gospel, but it's the local church that's the key for the gospel because people have to come in. And so our aim is we, we're going to local churches and helping them and saying, we, we call it third space because your first space is the church and your second space is the culture. And the third space, we're saying, where can you get people to come to hear the gospel? So City Bible, for, for Deutsche Bank, it's in their boardroom, you know, for uh, the lawyers in a restaurant called Silks. For other places, it will be pubs, it will be schools, it will be universities. But it really is, it's, it's evangelism which is, as most people here know, that's where my heart is anyway. Wonderful. So. Now, 
I'm so pleased your blog's carrying on because yeah. I do believe the Lord wants you to continue to be speaking into this world in which we live today yeah. and to the church. Yeah. We so need your stirring exhortations, but also um, the evangelism, which is so wonderful. Can I ask again the name of the organization? City Bible Forum. City Bible Forum. Remember that, so, everybody? CBF. City Bible, Bible Forum. Yeah. Thank you very much, David. Oh, thank you. Give him a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I want to, I'm going to take another liberty now, which you don't know anything about either. Um, basically because uh, this fellowship under David's direction has been responsible for two of my sons having a dramatic and wonderful restoration to God. And the first one uh, had walked away from God terribly. And uh, we'd even got so bad, in, he was... So drugged in the house, we had to ask him to leave the house. And he was £20,000 in debt. And he was in a total mess. And then one evening, he appeared in our kitchen in tears, totally, absolutely forlorn, and said, Dad, I've got to get back to the Lord. I want you to pray with me. Please, can I get back to the Lord? And I said, well, I'll pray with you, but I want you to go and see people who can help you. I don't want to be counselling you with all the mess you've been in, thank you very much. I would rather somebody else did it. So uh, Hugh Henderson, who was here as an elder, uh, stepped into the breach, for which I was truly grateful. But also, Hugh was working in signposts, and David used to go and do the Bible studies in the signposts. And John ended up going there and really enjoyed David's uh, teaching and preaching and ended up coming here because David had been up at signposts. Because it wasn't the first choice of somebody who had been in a charismatic church before. And so he so loved the preaching and teaching of David that he came here, was totally, over the period of time, transformed, went off and got an external Aberdeen theology degree and a master's in theology in St. Andrews and is now working for the Lord in Germany. Now, that is one wonderful way in which this fellowship has blessed one of the boys. The other boy was hit by a cow in a car, or the other way around. The cow hit him. He was in the car. And he had his skull crushed terribly. And he ended up in hospital for week after week. He had three major operations. And the surgeons had given up and told him he must go home, rest, that the Many, many bolts in his head and uh, fractures um, would have to heal up. And there was a leak from the ethmoid bone, which John will tell you all about if you ask him after the service. And uh, it, well, it is a very tricky place when you've got a, a fracture there uh, to get sorted. And so we said to him, why don't you come through and we'll get some of the elders, David was ill at the time, to pray with you. And so the Lord would de- heal you. And so we gathered together, six or seven, eight of the elders, I can't remember, I know Richard and you and Will and Harry, I, if you are in that group, put your hand up now, give us a wave, because I've forgotten who was in the group there, thank you. And, uh, and they prayed that afternoon after the service that the Lord would heal him and touch him, and he wept and he wept and he wept after that, and he was totally transformed because... After the final third operation, he'd said to his mum, 
In fact, he'd walk, I walked in to the hospital and found them both weeping after he'd just come out of theatre. And I thought, oh, good gracious, what's happened? And the CSF fluid, the cerebrospinal fluid, was leaking already, even after he'd only just had the operation. And he said to his mum, I don't think prayer works, mum. But within three weeks of the elders of this church praying with him, he was walking every day, five miles a day, listening to the Bible in his earphones, rejoicing in the Lord, worshipping the Lord, and attending church in Linthithgow. And miraculously, this fracture in the ethmoid bone healed. It was totally healed. The doctors were amazed. They'd never seen it happen before. They said, it's impossible. You can't get a healing when there's fluid leaking through a fissure, and it had healed completely. And I'm sharing this with you tonight for two reasons. First of all, there's a big thank you to David for his ministry at a personal level. But also, because you can trust in the future. You have elders here who God has anointed, and out of their office, they will take you forward into the future. You can be assured of that and be confident in it. The elders have been given this calling from God to take us forward into the future. And so be encouraged. The Lord that used them to heal that man wonderfully, to pray for that man and be healed, is are the same people here now who are guiding and leading us to the future. So be encouraged. Amen? You're allowed to say amen. I'm going to Africa. And <laughs> I'm going, come on, you might as well practice because I'm going to Africa on Friday. I want to get used to it. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, that's good. Now we'll do some praying. Thank you. <laughs> it is actually Pentecost Sunday today. I don't know if you know this. Uh, so I'm going to read this scripture here. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which we, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Tonight we're praying for another African country on the west coast, Guinea, the Republic of Guinea. Ten million people, about twice the size of England. Excuse that word, England, if you must. And uh, a very, very poor country again. Very poor. And so, large number of Islamic people, about 90%, very few evangelical Christians, very few, 80,000 maybe, in a population of 9 million people. So they really need our prayers, and then we're going to be praying for some of the other normal things we pray for, other churches, church missions, and church leaders. So let's pray together now, shall we? Thank you. Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are so wonderful to us. You don't only send Jesus to make 
reparation and be that substitutional sacrifice for sin, but Lord, you also, um, through him and because of him, we're wonderfully able to not only cleanse us from our sin, but fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we may indeed serve the living God, because we can receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon us in order to serve the living God. And we thank you, Lord, today for those uh, who have chosen to go and serve you in other countries and other places. And we do pray, O God, that more than anything, they will know your presence and your strength and the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we do pray for, for Guinea today. And we pray, Lord, that those who are there, who know you and serve you and love you, will continue to have this strategic coordination that they found and this love for one another and a love and and unity that they may be seen to be one. And we thank you, Lord, that there is an indigenous movement. There are people in the land who are seeking to do training courses for the believers who are Guinean. And Lord, we thank you that you will mobilize them, Lord, and give training for pastors and Christian students in order that they may serve the living God and that many, Lord, will hear the good news of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you give a real spirit of perseverance, Lord, for these dear people who know you and that they will pray and they will trust and they will encourage and they will be as one together in the proclamation of the gospel. Father, we thank you that you would cause the wonderful work of your spirit, Lord, in that land and raise up bold and fearless people to serve you and to proclaim your truth. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for the free church mission work in Colombia. We thank you for the pastor's breakfast that takes place. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for for Manuel, who is looking after this, and the 70 to 80, Lord, of these pastors who are gathering together now on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, to seek you together and to learn from you and to fellowship together and support one another in the work of mission. Father, tonight we thank you for the steeple church, for the fellowship there. Lord, for the parish nurses who attend to so many needy people, Lord, off the streets and homeless, Father, coming in to the church on Thursdays and we do pray oh God that you'd continue to be with them and nourish them and support them we pray oh God for the drop-ins that occur during the week and that you would enable the folk there to get alongside people and share the good news of Jesus and we pray Lord for Robert Calvert in particular Lord that you would just be with him and help him and give him peace in his heart and mind and that he would know the priorities for his own life and for the mission that is going on in that church. But Father, you would lead and direct that people as a community to seek after you. And we thank you for that. Father, we thank you tonight for Decker, the Evangelical Churches Alliance here in Dundee with so many different groups who are seeking to serve you in so many different ways across the city. And we thank you for this group. We thank you, Lord, for the initiatives they've taken to proclaim the gospel and to help the poor and serve the poor. And there's so many 
different places in the city where evangelical churches are ministering to the poor with cafes and drop-ins and different activities and events and food banks and so many other areas, Lord, where they're ministering together to serve you. And we do pray, O oh God, that we will be an encouragement to one another in all of this. But people would see beyond the good works, Lord, and see you, Jesus. See you as the author of all this, the pioneer of it all, and the one who sustains it. Father, we thank you and praise you for Baldragon School, Lord, Baldragon Academy in Kirkton. Father, thank you for the fact they've been able to find it, have a new building. and a, for, We pray, Lord, though, for a new building doesn't change hearts and minds and lives. And we do pray, O oh God, that you, you would give real wisdom and real strength and, Lord, enabling to the, the staff there to be truly wise in the way they teach and lead these young people. Father, we thank you for the opportunities we've had many of us from this church, Lord, to go there and share the good news in various ways. But Lord, we particularly pray for all those young people who've had the Gideon's Bible presented to them over the last five years or so. And we do pray, O oh God, that you will cause these young people to turn and read your word and find strength and hope and life in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for our school beside us here in blackness. And we do pray, O oh God, for the staff and the teachers there, that they would really have peace. And Father, you give them wisdom and how to work with young children. We pray for the children, Lord, some of our own children in that place, that you enable our own kids to stand tall for Jesus. And Lord, there'll be a real witness to these people. For the UCCF, Lord, we thank you for the relay workers who We'll probably be moving on soon, and Lord, we do pray for Sarah and David that you would, Lord, guide them and lead them in the ways uh, for their futures, and also, Lord, just give them wisdom about how to hand over the work of the UCCF to the next staff. Tonight, Lord, we thank you for Livingston Free Church and Nigel Anderson. We pray, Lord, for John, who is with us this morning, who used to be our session clerk who's there. And Father, we thank you for, Lord the wonderful way in which they've started the passing the baton and helping people with all kinds of different distress and problems in their lives. But Lord, we pray that you will help that fellowship to find a real focus for their love for you and for their outreach for you as well, Lord. And finally, Lord, tonight we do thank you for Caroline. We praise you for Caroline White as she is beginning her journey tomorrow to return and be with uh, us in Scotland for four months and round and we'll be visiting us. We thank you, Lord, that you are giving her this break and this rest and we do pray that she would have safe travelling mercies. We thank you for the visa that she got. We thank you, Lord, that you would really enable her to find real encouragement and support during her stay here. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for just the gift of your Holy Spirit afresh tonight, that you would rekindle the flame of our love for you, Holy Spirit, rekindle that love for Jesus, so that we would want to go forth, as these people did, filled with the Holy Spirit, declaring the wonders of God in a wonderful way. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, before we uh, turn to God's Word, we're going to sing again. We're going to sing the song, Jesus Paid It All. Um, and I think that those of us who do feel small and weak, we need to remember and sinful that Christ has paid it all. So let's stand and sing, I hear the Savior say. Oh, collection. Yeah, sorry. For, uh, I thought I'd cracked it this morning, but obviously not. We will be taking the collection as well. Please be seated. Let's turn to God's Word to Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. My daughter is a very traditionalist free church girl. Now she goes to St. Columbus and didn't understand why we didn't read the whole passage first and then read it again as we went through it this morning. So I will take her rebuke and we will read from verse 20 to the end. And we're going to split this into two parts and Uh, John Ellis is going to pray in the middle of these two parts, so I'll let you know, John. Um, 
Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greeting. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our, brothers, our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been going through Romans. Um, oh, I should have said that, uh, Chris, you were playing for Livingston. Uh, the church planter in Livingston, John Mackay, is here. Uh, John, where's John? He's somewhere. I saw you. Where was he? Oh, he's there, right down in the front. And uh, John and Marjorie and uh, John was a great mentor to me when I was a student at the Free Church College, as it was then. Uh, I went out to live in Livingston with John, and uh, he uh, was a fine example uh, to me, and it's lovely that we're praying for Livingston tonight. I want to read something that I read this morning, or in, I, I used the Sing Sam's book, and I'll not sing it to you, but I thought it was very appropriate for us as a congregation at this stage. We contemplate your steadfast love within your house, O oh God. You, you, we, sometimes we complain, don't we? And we have to stop and say, Lord, this is good. This is good. We thank you for this. For, like your name, your praise extends through all the earth abroad. All that you do is righteous, Lord. View every citadel and Judah's towns rejoice as they your judgments celebrate. Round Zion walk and count her towers. View every citadel so that to children yet her unborn, her story you may tell. Now, again, that's so important here. Um, I've told you this story many, many times that in the year 2000, Neil McMillan came here with a presbytery visitation and gave us a row for not having enough families and said you should have more family services. And we pushed back and said, we're not having family service without families. Anyway, whatever else has happened, since 2000, we've never had a time in this congregation without someone being pregnant. That's the power of the presbytery. <laughs> um, and this morning, I heard of two more so there are at least three women in the congregation just now, probably more, who are pregnant. There is a story um, uh, that I will not tell out of delicacy. <laughs> My biggest faux pas I ever made in this pulpit, just ask if you really do want to know, but I'm not going to uh, say it when it's being recorded. But it is wonderful how God has blessed us in that. So that to children yet are born, her story you may tell. That's why we study. That's why we're learning. There are children who are not yet born who you are going to teach. And that is just a wonderful wonderful thing. For God the Lord, who is our God, forever will abide. He is our God forevermore and to the end our guide. Again, there's an assurance that comes, not from us being able to hold on, but God is our God, and He will be to the end our guide. And speaking of ends, this is the end of Romans. We've been going through Romans, and verses 21 to 23. Tan, could you put it on? Because I don't have the clicker, so that's it. Um, this morning we looked at the makeup of the church in Rome, and we saw that Paul wasn't afraid to name names, and we saw the diversity and the unity within the church. 
But now what Paul does is he talks about those who are with him. He sends greetings from eight people who were with him in Corinth. So you'll see there's Lucius. That's possibly Luke because we know that Luke was in Corinth around this time. Jason, who's mentioned in Acts 17, verses 5 to 9. Uh, Other Jews were jealous. They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house and in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who've caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Some of you know that's my favorite verse in the Bible. Um, And the men who've turned the world upside down, as the old King James has it. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. This is the Jason that Paul says is he's sending greetings. Do you know what I love about all of this? You say, well, why do these names matter? What does it count? Because what we're dealing with is not myth. This is not, you know, that great opening line, there was a hobbit who lived in a hole. It's not myth. This is reality. These were real people. And when you join up all these different dots and you think, well, wait a minute, Paul is writing to the Romans and saying, Jason, this is Jason who, who took us into his home when people were rioting because we were preaching the gospel. And then there's... Um, Jason, by the way, was a common name amongst the Jews and was often used as a Greek substitute for Jesus. Then Sosipater, where's he from? Acts 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, another one from Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, Antichicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. See, one of the things that, that it's really, really important, and I was so glad that Chris prayed for the elders in this congregation, but it, it's, it's always wrong when a church is one person dominated. Always wrong. It's always unbiblical. Someone like me, um, as you gratefully acknowledged at lunchtime, is shy and retiring and doesn't like being up the front. I actually don't like particularly being at the front. I love preaching the Word of God. But, you know, people will tend to, and, and in the free church, we had this habit of speaking so-and-so's church. In fact, we'd, we would identify the minister, you know, Kenny Roskeen or whatever, you know, and you, you, get, you get identified. And there is a particular role that uh, a minister fulfills. I think that uh, it's vital, though, that when you get a new minister here, that it's recognized we don't operate with one person who's kind of like a priest and carrying everything. We have one high priest, and that's Jesus, but we work together. And you see that in Paul, this kind of band of brothers idea. So who does he mention? He mentions Timothy as well, the son, uh, son of a mixed marriage. His mother was a Jewess. His father was a Greek. He was converted during Paul's first missionary journey. He was given a special commission. Paul was very attracted to him. Again, something very, very basic here. Uh, there are some, you, 
You don't love everyone in the church or like everyone in the church equally. Let's be honest. There are some people who rub you up the wrong way. Uh, I will confess, I'm sure, that I, I rub some of you up, maybe many of you up the wrong way. That's fine. Get over it, snowflakes. Uh, it's, it's, that's, that's, that's what happens. We do. But sometimes there are people who you just click with. And I pray that God would give you people like that in the church. We don't all get on equally with everyone. We are all different. One of the phrases in our family for a while was always, people are different, people are different. Well, people are different. And, but Paul had this special relationship with Timothy. He was with Paul for eight years. He was with him in Ephesus and Corinth. He regarded him as his son in the faith. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. You notice what Paul's not doing. Paul doesn't say, well, he's a Christian, therefore I love him, therefore I love everybody, therefore we all love everyone equally, and so on. He's saying, no, no, this is Timothy. And he's writing to the Corinthians, who were a pain, and who really had got things so wrong, and who'd got, you know, things messed up in terms of uh, sexual adultery and, and other things. And, and, and the communion, their communion service was a mess. And everything about it, it just seemed to be such a mess. And they weren't very keen on Paul at times. He said, I'm sending to you Timothy. And I love Timothy. This is how important I think you are. Maybe Timothy failed in that mission because we sometimes hear of Timothy being called timid Timothy. Affectionate but fearful. In 2 Timothy 2.22, maybe it's poignant that he's warned about giving in to youthful lusts. Because ministers can be tempted too. He's warned not to be ashamed of the gospel. Yet Timothy was highly loyal to Paul. Timothy was now in Corinth with Paul, about to sail for Jerusalem with the offering for the Jerusalem churches. He's mentioned in every one of Paul's letters except Galatians. And I say all of that just to ask one very simple question. What kind of relationships do you have in the church? I used to be advised, don't make friends in the church. Why? So I guess you're not biased or, or whatever. No, 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 no. You, you don't, don't have a minister who's elevated above everybody else. You make friends. Of course you make friends. And I, I hope you will be able to make friends. But ask what kind of relationships. We need deepening relationships. You know what was lovely about um, this afternoon having a meal together and everything else? I mean, both myself and Anna were very, very grateful for all the kind things that you said. And we would uh, bounce them all back to you and thank you for your love and support. But you know what I liked about it? I just liked the fact that we were together. And let me say this, you should do that a whole lot more, you know? I think you should have that kind of meal once every three months or something. Because people in this congregation don't get to know each other because it was, we've grown so much that, you know, when there's 30 of you, everybody knows everybody. But even then you don't. Remember, there was a, right at the very beginning, there was a guy called Eddie, who was Eddie the painter. And <laughs> Eddie was a great lad in lots and lots of different ways. But he came to a service because he was nagged by Annabel's mother to come. And he came, and he, I remember him standing up at the end and going, because there was about like 10 people just dotted in pews, one there, one there, a couple there, a couple there, a couple there. And he stood up, and he, he just said to everyone, you people don't ken each other, eh? 
You should get to know each other. Have a cup of tea or something after the service. And, and that's how we began it, actually. Because he was dead right. It was so embarrassing, a non-Christian. Used people don't ken each other. Well, that was right. Well, now we're packed and we have the cup of tea and that's great and coffee and cake and so on. But actually having a meal together, it's a lovely thing to do. So I can I encourage you in that. Speaking of which, Gaius, the hospitable. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy. Um, he must have had a fairly large house. One is a house in which the fellowship met. He was mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1.14 as being baptized by Paul. Perhaps he could be identified with Titius Justus in Acts 18.7, where he had a large house next to the synagogue. Some people think they're the same person. That's where Paul stayed. That's where the church met. And Paul was at that house at this time, writing the letter to the Romans and saying, Gaius, whose hospitality we enjoy. So I think that is very, very likely. Perhaps he's also the Gaius referred to in Acts 19.29 during the Ephesian riot when the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Origen refers to a tradition that he became the first minister of Thessalonica. Maybe this is the same Gaius referred to in 3 John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. But I love this description. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Stressed it before, we'll stress it again. Hospitality is key. And some, one of the great things about having a meal together is that some people who don't live in very large houses are not going to be able to invite the whole church or even their whole um, pastoral group to come and have it. Um, but we can. We can invite people. And you know, one of the good things about that is when you have a church meal, you can invite people who are strangers. You can invite the poor. You can invite all different kinds of people just to come and to share together. Gaius the hospitable. And then Tertius the writer, Paul's scribe. It's a Latin name, so he was a Roman himself. He writes down Paul's letters. Um, and he does so in the Lord. He greets you in the Lord. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So Paul dictates it, and Tertius is the scribe. We need people in the church who can administrate, people who can run things, people who um, can draw up rotas, and people who don't rely on continual spontaneity to keep things uh, messed up or, or going. Uh, we need administrators, and please do pray uh, for those who are involved in that. And maybe that's a gift that, that you have, that you can help with things in that way. And then there's Erastus, the government official, the city's director of public works. Not necessarily the same as mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.20, Erastus stayed in Corinth, or even Acts 19.22. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, because Erastus was sort of a very common name. There is a Latin inscription on a marble pavement close to the old ruins of Corinth, which says this, Erastus, commissioner for public works, laid this pavement at his own expense. Oh, I guess quite good. Imagine that. He laid this pavement at his own expense. It shows that Christians held office even under heathen governments. And again, I just love all these different ways 
that these are normal people involved in normal jobs with normal lives who are spreading the gospel. And that is what we need, isn't it? That's, I mean, you, you're going to go from this place if you are a Christian, and tomorrow you're going to bear witness for Jesus. That's, that's what all this is about. You come and we worship together so you hear about Jesus and you're enthused about Jesus and you bear witness to Jesus. I'm going to ask John in a minute to come and pray, but I do want to say just something to ask this about in the gifts that we have. Think about the gifts you have, writing, friendship, loyalty, work, hospitality, that you can use in communicating the gospel. And also just to think about this, about how we deepen friendships and fellowship within this church, so that friendship and fellowship is not something that's inward-looking, but that's outward-looking. The tighter we are bound together, the more open we are. Remember the, the Freigemacht in um, the Netherlands? They came and visited us, the Reformed Church there, and they gave us a wee um, gift, which was very Dutch and very artistic. It was wonderful. It was three figures molded together in a circle, but they were all looking outward. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a close fellowship that's looking outward. If you start looking inward, you'll die because you're not reflecting the attitude of Jesus Christ, which is to look outward. And you need that band of brothers. And I, I said to you this morning, I, I don't want to make too many personal things with this, but I, I said to you this morning that there are times when, you, when I personally really struggled here. Uh, and I'm so thankful, as we read from Spurgeon's morning and evening, that the Lord brought us through those but he brings us through it in different ways, and he usually involves other people. And there was one time that I was very, very low in this church, and uh, God, out of the blue, uh, sent me John Ellis and, and then Betty as well. And John was just like a breath of fresh air to me. He revived my soul. He didn't even know that he did that, and uh, we got on very well, and we used to love... I, I felt sometimes like we were like wrestlers any of you have ever seen wrestling? I'm sure that's not most of you. But you know how they team tig? You know, so someone tags someone and they jump in the ring. And John and I occasionally did an outreach event together taking on atheists. And I really felt quite sorry for them at the end because I'd just, I'd be getting a beat bit up and then I'd touch John and he would come in and, uh, with his incredible ability to quote and so on. But more than that, what the Lord does is he sends you brothers in the Lord. He sends you sisters in the Lord. And you need to ask God to do that. And incidentally, it's really good that John is part of another church, not so we could moan about the church, but because we need to recognize the church of Jesus Christ in this city is one. That's really important. And I pray that God blesses Grace Church, and I pray that God blesses Central Church. And this is honestly the truth. I pray that God will either completely revive or wipe out churches that don't preach the gospel. I pray that God blesses the redeemed church, our two sisters here. I've, I loved going up to the redeemed church and preaching the gospel, and Chris, you have no idea how to do amen and hallelujah until you go to the redeemed church. <laughs> it was just, it's just absolutely wonderful. But I'm, I'm saying that it's really important that in this day and age, when there's so much opposition, and maybe it's not any more than before, but for me it feels as though there is, nobody stands on their own. Nobody stands on their own. You need people. You need the church. And you need those special people. The disciple whom Je even Jesus did. 
the disciple whom Jesus loved. Didn't he love the others? Yes. But there was a special love that he had, a special bond. And, and I think that, that we need that. And I'm very grateful that the Lord provides that. And I'm very thankful to John. His daughter got married yesterday. Um, and I know he's very, very tired and very thankful he came this evening. And before I just go to the last bit and talk about the benediction upon us all, I'm going to ask John if he would come and pray for us. Please, John. I hadn't really intended to say this, and I don't want to um, get distracted from the important business of prayer, but when David makes reference to the men who turned this world or this city upside down, it does kind of make you think of him. Uh, This is written by a non-Christian. I read this this afternoon. Think of this as a rebuke, and think of it as it refers to the man standing behind me. She writes, On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear the ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God we wake may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to whence we can never return. Let us pray. Our all-powerful and all-wise Father, we thank you that as we bring you our prayers for others, we call to mind two encouragements. First, that we are praying to our Creator God who could who could, if our prayers were all wise, answer and grant every one of these petitions. This makes prayer profoundly serious and utterly sensible. Why wouldn't we pray? Whenever we're worried or alarmed at the state of the world or the state of our church or your church or the plight of the lost, not yet in Christ, why on earth would we carry these burdens alone and not turn them over to you? Forgive us that we do and help us now to pray. So, Father, we Rebuke our cold, half-believing hearts and remember that prayer is not wishing. It is talking to the all-powerful Creator God who is for us in Jesus and who loves nothing better than to share that love and adoration of His beautiful Son and our Lord as far as the curse is found from the end to end of the universe and from head to heart to action and will of sinners who own His Lordship. So, Father, we pray, spread the fame of your Son in us and through us this week. Thank you that through Jesus' cross you are for us, against our sin, and no longer against us for our sin. Encourage any who have been listening too much to the voice of the accuser, that insistent, nagging, whining voice that tells us that we are not worthy of grace and our sins will be remembered, our many sins, or that one sin that we have confessed so often, long after you've covered and forgotten it. Lord, give the word that sustains the weary that you learnt when you lived under the law a sinless life, a holy life, a beautiful life, measured and poised and perfect. The life and worship that we should have given and should give at every point in which, more than simply cancelling our debts, you give us and clothe us with that we might live easy and free and radiant and unspotted in your, in your Father's smile forever. And the second encouragement we have is this, that 
Whilst our wisdom is wonky and bent and incomplete, yours is perfect. So you know when and how to answer our prayers, and when and if that answer needs to be that we need changing, to ask for the right things and to be led deeper into your heart, so that we see and ask for things more in line with your character and your purposes for a lost world. Thank you so much that we cannot pray if we mean what we say when we say we pray in Jesus' name for anything that would diminish or tarnish his fame and beauty in the eyes of the world. Help us then to pray right and to want right. Father, your church has given such an uncertain and confused testimony of late. We ask you to help us wake up and to be clear and winsome and bold and attractive to those you are calling. Bless the work of St. Pete's in Dundee. Bless its influence for the gospel and its fight for the cause of truth in a darkening culture. Protect it and all the elders and deacons in their work and service. Keep them clear-minded and alert. Keep them from temptation too great to bear and keep them victorious in such temptation as does come. Bless the search for a pastor. Bless those who nurture and keep alight the vision and the ministry and the pastoral care after David and Annabel leave. Bless our witness, Lord, to the many, many parishes represented here for names and faces that come to mind. Lord, bless Andrew and Kyrene and their family and their ministry. Increase and prosper it as they point away from themselves to Christ. Lord, bless Paul and Hamish and St. Andrews and their work there. And Lord, bless David and Annabel as they prepare for this next part of their journey with you. Bless their big picture plans and their small detail necessities. Bless their errands and sanctify their frustrations. Bless their excitement and their ambivalence. Bless their hopes and calm their fears. Be closer than parting and closer than they are to themselves and to commission and renew and envision them, we pray. Because your work, your weighty, glorious work of pointing all men to your Son as able and sufficient and the object of adoration and worship of all heaven and earth has begun and will never end. And we all have a small but crucial part to play in it. Enable us to do it, we pray, in Jesus' able and glorious name. Amen. Let's just look at this doxology from verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel. Just briefly do this, because the doxology sums up the whole purpose of the letter, which is the defense of the gospel. You see, the, the list of names and the people and the situations and the hospitality and the gifts, it's all tied in with the place of the Jews and justification by faith and, and predestination and uh, what's the role of the law and so many other things that Paul has been discussing. People who divide the church and say kind of, well, you're interested in theology and you're interested in practical stuff and you're interested in hospitality and you're interested in praise, never buy into that. That's not New Testament Christianity. We, it, it's all tied in together. The fellowship comes from being connected with Jesus, and it comes from the gospel, and the gospel doesn't proclaim us. It proclaims Jesus Christ. It is a mystery which has only recently been revealed. It is revealed through the prophetic writings. It's revealed through the Scriptures, and its purpose is to bring all nations to believe and obey, to bring glory to God through Jesus. 
The doxology here is really a summary of everything that's gone before, just as at the very beginning, the first few verses are that same summary of what is to come. That's the advantage of looking at a whole letter and not just picking out bits. We, we see how it all connects. And there are just some things in, the, in this doxology just, I, I just want to mention. Number one is the Scriptures. The, the letter of Romans begins and ends with the gospel as the power of God. If it is the power of God to save, it is also the power of God to establish. Sterizo is the word that carries the idea of, it's like a technical term for nurturing young believers, nurturing young converts, and strengthening young churches. It's what's needed in Charleston. It's what's needed when young people become Christians. It's what's needed when many students come into this city who become believers or have just become believers. It's what's needed when older people become Christians and have so many things to unlearn. They need to be established in the faith. Luke uses this word of Paul revisiting new churches in order to establish them, strengthening the church in unity, holiness, and truth. I believe God has done a marvelous work in this church, but it needs to be established. You know, it's, we're, we're weak. We're weak. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but we are, and we need to be established. But He will do so. Paul says, by my gospel. Is it Paul's gospel? No. It is only in this sense that it was revealed to him by God. He's saying, the gospel that was revealed to me, I didn't make it up. This was revealed to me. I wouldn't have known this. I was an arrogant, proud, self-righteous, religious person. And God, in his mercy, revealed this to me. The gospel is revealed truth. He's not saying, this is my gospel, and then other people have other gospels. I heard the Archbishop of Canterbury today plead on Pentecost, and thanks for pointing that out, Chris. I thought you might know. Um, you and the Archbishop of Canterbury make a good team. Uh, I heard him say about Christian unity, and he was right, and he was wrong. He was right because Christians who are bound together in the Lord must be united. But he was wrong because He's referring to people say, well, this is the gospel I believe, and someone else say, well, this is the gospel I believe, and it's like everyone's got their own gospel. No, we don't. There's one gospel, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one Jesus, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's not pleading for one denomination. It's not pleading for one particular emphasis on the secondary thing. But Christian unity only exists between those who hold to the gospel as it's revealed to us in the Scriptures. It was hidden for ages. We would never have worked it out for ourselves. But Jesus Christ in His fullness has been revealed now. It's good news for Jews and Gentiles. The mystery begins, continues, and ends with Christ. One of the most tiresome and wearisome things and most depressing things I have to do, and actually many Christians try to stop me from doing it because they say, "You, you shouldn't fight about this. And that is with people like Steve Chalk, who's got a new book out called The Lost Message of Paul, I've just got a review uh, going up tomorrow on the blog of that. It's hard work working through that. Another is a, a woman called Karen Armstrong I heard on the radio today just basically saying, you know, we, we need this way of artfully interpreting the Scriptures and so on. And here's what's happening, and here's why we need to do it and why we need to combat that with the truth of the gospel. Because it, this is not new. 
It's 19th century Protestant liberalism, for those of you who know your church history. It's first century Gnosticism in the New Testament that Paul and that had to deal with. But I'll tell you how it's not new. It goes right back to the temptation in the Garden of Eden where the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say? And once you start thinking that, the devil's got you. Because you don't tell God what he should say and what he shouldn't say. He tells you. He reveals. And this is what he reveals. He reveals Jesus Christ. But the devil goes, did God really say? Did God? And you know what he does? When he takes the word of God away from you, he's taking Jesus away from you. Never let that happen. Never let that happen. It could happen here. But don't let it happen. Don't let people add to the Bible. Don't let people take away from the Bible. He talks about made known through the prophetic writings and that's He's really saying there, the Old Testament, the real meaning of the Old Testament can only be seen in the light of the coming of Christ. And so he says, we have to evangelize. It's made known so that all nations might believe and obey him. It's a proclamation. It's an earnest and enthusiastic cry of the herald. The gospel is still a mystery to most people in this city, and we need to make sure it's not. It's not your job to make people believe. It is your job to tell them the good news. It's now made known through the Scriptures. It's an ongoing manifestation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we do pray that Christ would be revealed. One of the the key moments for me here in this congregation was when Gordon and Edith Wilson came in one day and sat down, and we were a smaller congregation then. They were 15 minutes early, so nobody came early in those days. And uh, I went up and spoke to him because he was a famous politician and I knew about him when we talked, and Gordon and Edith became members with us. Edith still still is. But I'll never forget one conversation with Gordon where he said, he told me about the formation of the SNP and the aims that they had, and then he said, what you've got in this church is much more important, much more important. And then he looked at me and he said, but you're useless again now. How come I didn't know about this? I live in the same city. How come I didn't know? And then he said, you have to stop running around like a headless chicken everywhere to every village in England and everywhere else. As, that's how he perceived it. And said, we need, to, says, we, we need to get this message out. And that's how we set up Solas to, to try and do that. I'm so delighted Andy Bannister has taken that on and it will, it will develop. But here's the point. This gospel, this good news has to be heralded. It's not to be hidden away. It's not to be kept. We have to communicate it. And it's something that I, I wrestle with all the time and something you need to wrestle with. If this church does not do heralding evangelism, Jesus Christ, not only will you die, but you will deserve to die. You can't keep it in. You can't. It's good news, and it has to be shared. And if you hear the most phenomenal preaching, and you are engaged in the most wonderful praise, and you have great fellowship and hospitality of people, and and you keep it to yourself... It's like I used to, when I was a teenager, work on a farm where I'd be sent to go and dig ditches, and like real ditches, um, with a spade. And it was to help the water flow. And here's what happened. If the ditch wasn't dug, the water filled up, it didn't flow, and it went stagnant, and it stank, and it was full of disease, and, and insects and everything else. That's what happens in the church if it doesn't flow. So, you know, God has blessed this church in many ways, but with great blessing comes great responsibility, which is why Paul speaks about the obedience of faith. 
Faith without obedience is not real faith. I have faith in Jesus, but I don't need to obey him. No, no, you don't have faith in Jesus then. You just don't. You have talk. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, which I won't read because time has gone, but um, it's a faith which is itself obedience. And all the nations, no limit is placed. The gospel is intended for everyone. Everyone who calls, Acts 5.21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Christians argue about predestination and so on, but we shouldn't argue about this, that we can go to everyone and ask them to call on the name of the Lord and assure them that if they call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. You're here tonight. You're maybe not a Christian. I, I guarantee you this, that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Why? Because of you, no. Because of me, no. Because that's what God says. And God cannot lie. I love the trust that children have. And I think my favorite child story here is the girl who will remain nameless because she's growing up now, um, who went home to her mum and dad one day and she was getting a row about, I don't know, not doing something and being told that she was bad. And she turned around to her mum and she said, no, David says that I'm beautiful and he's a minister and he can't lie. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry, but I can't. I hope I wouldn't, but I can, and I do. But God can't lie, ever. And what God says, we believe. And so the conclusion is, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. God's wisdom is seen in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. God has chosen to save the world through the folly of the gospel, to create a multicultural church and to unite everything under Christ. We worship God for his wisdom and power displayed in salvation. Glory is to be ascribed to God on the basis of what God has done, to which we should all add, as Chris suggested, an enthusiastic amen. That's the Christian response. It's not a particular style of response. We should be able to say amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song Grace and then we will stand for this benediction that we've just looked at and then you can help yourself to books and the ask people, please don't forget that, sorry, the, the a spy people, please don't forget. It's a beautiful song. Your grace that leads this sinner home from death to life forever. Grace that reaches far.
Those of us who do not know you, those of us who are so conscious of our sin, those of us who feel far from you, can be redeemed by your grace, not by our merits. And how wonderful that those of us who've grown cold and and turned away from you, though we know you, yet we can be restored. And again, it's by grace. We bless you for that. We bless you for this church and for every church represented here. We bless you for the numerous mercies that you have granted to us. And now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him to the only wise God be glory forever. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.